This is not Braden Storms. This is not Braden Storms. Storms. Alright, welcome to Not Braden Storms. Today we have Sumaya Corey. Sumaya. Um, Sumaya studied biology at Biola University, graduated in May. Um, she also went through the Tory Honors College uh, with me and like all my friends. So <laughs> uh, the question I wanted to start with today was why is it worthwhile to study the classic um, if you're going to go into med school, which I know we were just talking about, you know, that's up in the air, but uh, you know. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the fact that it's up in the air is like the first thing that's just like perpetually how I operate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's kind of the pre-med of like, I've done everything I physically can do, but it still won't be enough because yeah. these like bars are really high or whatever. Um, but I think that that's what made like the Tory education so essential for me was viewing education as something so much bigger than just getting requirements to complete another task. Hmm. Um, because that's what medic like the, what I love about medicine is the like patient interactions and the like, the ministry opportunities that come in meeting people's physical needs yeah, as a platform then to talk about spiritual needs and things like mm-hmm. that. So that's, that's like the heart and that's what I want to be going into it for. Yeah. But the practical application and the requirements end up getting so, it's just very technical and you have to be somebody that's like detail oriented and always like striving. It's like, I want to volunteer, but then like, let me make sure this is for the right reasons. And it's mm-hmm. not just to get this thing that I know will be good to talk about. And eventually someone's going to bring up, um, yeah. you know, in an interview or something like that. So it's kind of like, there's the virtuous reason that I want to do medicine, which I hope is like at the core of stepping forward into actually like becoming a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like anything else, it's so easy to lose sight of it. And I feel like, our classical Tory education, which I could talk about for so long, yeah. is just it's so transformative to my faith. And what, what actually is a life lived well? Why would I go into medicine? What's the point of caring for people physically? Um, it's like it has to be that like mission to live well um, and to inspire people to live well. Um, so I don't know. I, that's that's kind of a rambling answer, but that's no, where I'm good. at so far. Yeah, and I I think your point about um, kind of like the virtue versus um, what's kind of expedient for you is definitely that's a legitimate question. Um, and it, I like that Tori has kind of brought that up in you. Do you think that if you didn't have the classical education, where you start to do the kind of like zoom out thinking? Do you think you would have gotten to that same point where you're like questioning the um, virtue behind what you're doing? I think the heart was always fundamentally about the right thing, like right. the motivation, because I wanted to be a doctor. I mean, that was like that was the thing that was like told to me by my grandparents growing up is like, this is like this is such a um, a good career because of the service that you can bring. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the respect that it gets you. So it's kind of the multifaceted Lebanese perspective of like, why do you pursue a like graduate degree um, or medical degree? So that has kind of been the framework, but then also my church and my denomination is so um, based in the health message. And so Mm -hmm. I've, I've always seen like 
healthy living. I tend to be more holistic anyway in my like practice and perception of medicine, but healthy living is very much tied to our stewardship. And so it's, it's very much connected to my faith. So I think that that's kept it grounded always. Right. Um, I also tend to not be, um, I, I strive for things, but I'm not super ambitious. So like, mm. I think the process of becoming a doctor, I don't think I would have, like, it would have never been sustained if it had just been about getting the degree or having like the societal position of a doctor or something like right. that. Like it, it really, um, this, the virtue of it is what like has fulfilled me to continue doing it. Right. Um, so, but I think the Tory education has made me understand it better. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's transformed my understanding of how I can do the virtue. Like, it's not just perceiving like, oh, medicine has a virtuous like aspect. It's like, how do I make sure that that's what I'm practicing? Right. Um, and that there would even be a way to do that, to like live virtuously. Right. Um, connected to faith, but also just to like life in a way that's applicable to all people and my patients. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want so I want to get back to that that idea that like there's a way that you can do it virtuously and there's a way you can do it not virtuously. But I want to touch on what about um the church that you grew up in? How how are they focused on health? Yeah, so um I'm Seventh-day Adventist and um what the like so the the looking at the, you know, this, this national search for like, what medical school am I going to go to? Um, it's one of two, pretty much two practicing like religious medical schools. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like the Christian medical school, um, which is just amazing that there's a Christian institution at this level for just the amount of, um, money and stewardship over the years that comes to like even allowing that to be a possibility. Um, and there are, there's such a, a big, mission global mission outreach with the church so that comes through healthcare. so it's this idea that we meet people like i think so much just of like james like you can't just you know say like oh god be with you because you're missing a shirt like you also need to give your brother a shirt mm -hmm. um, so it's just that recognition that in in doing ministry and in like ministering to people's souls you take care of them physically too uh, so I think that medicine is a very natural way to do that. And, mm -hmm. and so you're meeting physical needs and then you, you get, I just like, I love that I am like privy to the intersection of people realizing like my physical body is failing, but I'm also like, I'm realizing that there might be something else that's going on here, or there might be some part of me that isn't just my physical body. Yeah. Um, and so like working in the hospital, that was so interesting for conversations like that. But in general, it tends to be the perspective of the church. Let's steward um, care of our bodies as part of a spiritual practice. But mm -hmm. also we can we can share our faith in first caring for people physically, um, like in washing the feet. Like we do that actually even like when we do our like communion service, we do foot washing. So it's very much this like um, habituation of service. Right. So. Um, that's just, that's definitely shaped my perspective growing up and yeah. definitely like where I view the worth of medicine and what's fulfilling to me um, as a spiritual practice too is often related to service. Yeah. Um, how, how would you identify physical health and how would you identify spiritual health? Like what are the markers of those things? Sure. 
like what would make somebody like oh i'm i'm a healthy person like yeah something like that just like yeah. the, like the identification okay um i think i think physical health i would say more is like um like an awareness of physical needs and an idea of like what it is like what are the requirements of living healthily and then trying to practice those things so mm -hmm. it's not like oh the aim with being a doctor is like you can't solve everything it's not like even if you even if somebody you know you have a conversation about like diet and exercise early on that doesn't just mean somebody is going to avoid like every physical infirmity in the future yeah. um, you know and, and then treatment of things too even like thinking about something like diabetes it's like once you have a diagnosis in some ways like not to be too discouraging but it's kind of like the damage has been done and so now it's working on like how do you live with this and how do you you know you maybe you can reverse some of the effects but usually it's not this like oh you're perfectly fixed again because right. things have gone you know down earlier on for that right. to even be a diagnosis so um i guess in in medicine it's like what's the goal how do you make people healthy and it's right. like it has to be those conversations about what it is to like to to be healthy but i think it's making people care about their health and even think about that. Like, how do I be somebody that's physically healthy and why would I care about it? Right. Besides just like, oh, I'm going to live longer. It's like, right. is there virtue? So I definitely, I think everything becomes like um, what I've learned and not making everything like intellectualized or like, let's talk, like, here, read this Plato dialogue and then you'll care about like your health. And mm -hmm. in some ways, Plato's a terrible one. <laughs> He'd be like, don't worry about it. Just like disconnect from your body. Um, but that God made our bodies and that he wants us to, um, he like they're his temple. Like in the same way, you know, our souls are, there's a spiritual element, but there's definitely a physical element too. So we can easily get too separated from the spiritual, but then I think very much, especially in the, like in the virtue and ethics and things like that, get separated from the physical. So right. um, Plato's fun to think about that for that. Yeah. And then spiritual health, I guess I would just say is, is the product of having a um, like robust relationship with God. Um, and that doesn't also in the same way that physical health just doesn't translate to like, yay, everything's perfect all the time. Um, like I've, I've definitely grown in my relationship with God, especially over the time at Biola, but that doesn't mean like, Oh, I just don't have anxiety anymore yeah. or everything's, everything's fixed and resolved. And I don't need to talk to anyone ever about like spiritual things. It's like, you don't, you never like get to the point where you like never have to see a doctor. Like right. people treat it like that. But the idea is like, that's, that's not health is like right. just, no longer having to learn these lessons um and that maps onto faith definitely too it's not like we get to a point where it's like great i'm sanctified enough like i got to this complete point and now it's just like smooth sailing from here on out yeah. so it's all interconnected um and it's beautiful to see the model pattern onto so many things of of our like process of sanctification basically right yeah that's cool so i want to go back to the question about like doing uh medicine virtuously um so given the kind of like the the identifiers of health that you've uh I, you know marked um how does that help you think about what it means to be a doctor virtuously um and, and i'm kind of thinking about that in like a uh, aristotelian sense where like hmm. there's a virtuous carpenter and that like the carpenter is virtuous because he does his work well um, and like serves his function well. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, how do you be a doctor well? 
I think what I would, it, it, it is, it's kind of like serving your function to the best that you're able to and realizing that like the work done well is a witness to the spirit behind the work. Mm. Um, like I don't need to have like in the same way that us, like we can interact with people in a way that's glorifying to God that isn't like, okay, like, let's do the, like, you know, deathbed conviction time. Right. And like, we're going to get you like ship shape and saved. And like, there's worth to that in certain situations. But um, I think being a doctor is fulfilling the function of helping people to take care of themselves physically and care and have the care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's so much just about like the, the human connection and like the personability, like those are the doctors that I've been the most impacted by and have, especially when shadowing have been just the most influenced by their practice and seeing the way that it's surprising how just like 30 minutes talking about like health problems with somebody can become, it's something that can be done so cold where you just show up and you, it may be you're personable in the way that you act, but you can just tell the difference between doctors that it really is just they're used to getting through the patients and getting the job done. And then yeah. people that just make that little extra effort. Like if a patient comes in and they're reading a book and it's like, Oh, what are you reading? Like you can ask that question in, in different ways, depending on the intention. And I think just the way to do it well is not to get too caught up in my job is to treat people's medical problems. And then I've done a good day's work, but it's like, how do we, yeah. how do I be a good connector yeah like i'm problem solving for these people but like ultimately health is about like human connection in many ways too yeah so um that's why i'm more partial like just in thinking about specialties in the future to one where i can develop longer term patient interactions right as much as i love like the technical work that maybe surgery would involve it separates you from the patient um, right. and you work with your team and things like that but i do think that in the way that i see doing medicine well it's developing those like longer term relationships. So it's about yeah. people and not just about the problems. Yeah, that's good. How do you, uh, or this is kind of a bigger picture question, but how do we reconcile the tension between needing more doctors and not having enough doctors who are uh, kind of personable in the way that you're describing? So like, obviously <laughs> we can't just like open the floodgates and let anybody be a doctor. Um, so do you see a solution to that? I think the tricky thing is it's we're like you need to start farther back on the kind of education people are receiving. Yeah. So I would say that the classical education has been I mean, I'm a huge advocate for it. It's been hugely transformative to the way that my brain works even. Yeah. Um and maybe, you know, some people say like, oh, you think too deeply about this thing, just like live it. And there are ways that sure, that can be the tendency out of out of a program like Tori. But it's also, um, it just makes things matter beyond just like the material. Mm-hmm. And so I think as we, especially in the US, become increasingly just materialistic um, and like struggle with these problems of like, is there anything beyond the physical? There's certainly people that are questioning that, but there's a lot of people that just live like that, yeah. um, kind of one track minded. So I think that that's tricky because that's, those people do really well on the MCAT. Mm. <laughs> like they, they can, can do the things that need to get done to get the requirements to get into medical school. Um, and that can be hugely frustrating in somebody that's 
like thinking about other things, but also it's like, they've got like the technical skills in many ways. Um, And they might provide the right care. But I think ultimately you end is like, you end up seeing a breakdown between the people that are thinking like more critically about things. And then people that know how to like play the system and work through like, like this, this really bothered me um, at one of the hospitals that I interned at, but the doctors were just going through this manual, like looking at symptoms. It was like WebMD basically, but just in a printed form. And I was like, that is horrible. Like there's no (laughs) critical thinking happening. It's like, let me find the symptoms. You know, like the AI can do that. Right. (laughs) Um, So the difficulty is when you go to these people that are really good about getting the tasks done, it's kind of like, does that translate to the skills of like, let me like creatively problem solve this this situation? I think probably not. So I would say when we're looking for more doctors um, and even my aunt, she works at the Mayo Clinic and she's talked about this with like the admissions process. Um, It just is, there's a lot of facets to look at. Um, But interview, I think has to become increasingly important. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just a snippet into somebody. But the hiring committees have such huge pressure on them and such huge responsibility because it's not just about finding somebody with the best scores that doesn't mean that there's going to be personal care but it also just doesn't mean that there's going to be competency later down the line right so that's like that's just like spitballing of like the stuff that i've been experiencing through the application process and realizing like what's this about what is the kind of doctor i want to be who am i seeing model that and i would say in most cases and this is based on exposure but the doctors that I've been most impressed by are those that work in private practice um, because there is the, they're responsible for their own patients. It's not like a hospital that's just kind of feeding them patients that they supervise. Um, And then also those that are either Christian or have been trained in a Christian um, like facility, basically like a lot of people out of Loma Linda that maybe even aren't even Christian, but they've been trained in this framework of um, considering what is soul care? Like, is there a way that we need to care for people on an emotional level that's separate from, um, you know, end of life consultations or something like that? Or like, how do we make that part of it? And just thinking about those conversations, um, and having an investment in people besides like money or just completing the task or something like that. So, um, I think that, yeah, I've just seen the, there's complications with Christian education, but at least as it's done at Loma Linda, it tends to be a little bit more uh, in line with the kind of the classics or thinking about what is the good. Their motto is like, um, this is just becoming an advertisement. <laughs> um, their motto is like making the man, making man whole, basically. How do we do that? That's, there's a recognition there that there is the soul. Yeah. Um, my PT is not, not Christian or not practicing Christian. Um, <laughs> Winston here barking he, and he is he's hobbling on Winston. he's hobbling because he he injured one of his legs so it's oh, like no. just like the funny side of this like 25 pound terrier <laughs> hobbling and barking still though fighting the yeah. um but yeah so she's she's not christian but um there was just it was noticeable in her practice that there was something different about what she was doing or a way that she cared beyond just like helping me fix my knee problem so yeah um yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure if that gets at it, but that's something that I just picked up. Yeah, on. yeah, and and certainly there is an importance to the human interaction. Um, I've talked with some people who are in like the therapy world, and just talking about how the 
the actual just like relationship between um client and therapist is like that's super important and it's kind of getting taken away uh yeah so yes. my question would be do you see do you foresee ai taking a role in diagnosis in the near future and if so how does that change the role of a doctor yeah i mean that's kind of like what separates us from the machines mm -hmm. right although i say thank you to the ai bot whenever i use it so i've, I've lost <laughs> the ability to differentiate i treat it like it's a person um but i think that that's what that well first of all ai isn't anywhere near People talk like, and it's, it's certainly developing, but, right. um, George had it plan a part, like a leg of our trip that we went on this summer to mm -hmm. get some like creative ideas for Switzerland. And it was like, he was like five day trip and it'd be like, and then on the seventh day and it's like, <laughs> you don't even understand time. This is crazy. Yeah. Like, I feel like that would be the fundamental part. It can do so many complicated things. And then it's like, can't even understand like time linearly in the way that we can. So right. um, certainly progressing, but it's, it's got farther to go, but it, assuming that it did and assuming mm -hmm. that it was like, let's just say we get to a point where, you know, I mean, human problems are so intricate because they're so interconnected with like throughout the whole body. Um, but just in general, like that it was having really like high accuracy for correct diagnosis, like right. diagnoses. I could especially see it replacing the, um, kind of primary care provider position. So the doctor that you basically go to um, because of insurance before you can go see any specialists for the problems. You're like, right. I know I have this problem. I want to see, you know, throat doctor or something like that. And it's like, okay, you have to go to this doctor first to get kind of green, green lighted, even though you already knew what right. you needed or most people know what they need, but it's good because it prevents people from just getting access to doctors and then kind of clogging the system. I understand it. It's annoying for me and, and for the patients, but yeah, I could see that job being replaced by AI. Um, but I think that that's what that is. It really just makes it so material because then it's like, okay, I went to the AI doctor mm -hmm. and I know what my problem is. And I have a list of medications and like a regimen that I'm supposed to follow. And that's a big part of, of medicine and like the expertise that you're trained in to be a doctor. But then it's also like, okay, is that what it's about? Like, is that like, it is the AI bot, like, like virtuously fulfilling the role of a doctor. If you right. view it as just like correct answers, then yeah. Like if it's just about getting the person up and running again, then maybe they are. Um, but I, I, I just don't think that my experience with it has just been so like black and white that it is, I don't think it's about just the problem. Um, and you see the ways that then every career is connected in having a purpose beyond what the physical task of the job is. Uh -huh. Like there's a job well done in that you're completing the certain like task of, of the project or whatever, or like computer coding. And it's like, I did this, I did the, the task that was assigned to me. Um, but I think like more meaningful about the careers are, are, I guess I would say human connection. And then in computer coding, something like that, that's more isolated job. It's like, are you, can you be virtuous if you're separate from other people? Hmm. Like, is there a virtue that's just an isolated virtue? Interesting. Um, which is another like line of questioning, but yeah, we, we kind of have to think about like, if, if you're just on, if you're just on the materialism side, you could maybe view an AI 
as virtuous just because you're equating virtuous like virtuous with correct right so and then that's kind of the point that's also the problem where you're looking for doctors that are like just scoring really high on exams they are correct right so if that's what it's about that's the way to find people that will be correct right in theory at least right and so if you set your standard as who can score the highest on this exam and then a bot comes along that can score <laughs> higher than anybody can on the exam it makes sense that the bot would replace the people mm -hmm. um, so um, like if we're imagining a hypothetical situation where this does happen um how does that shift what the people who are medically trained do do you like what would what does the role of a doctor become um, if diagnosis isn't the primary uh, function? Um, I definitely think it would be more, well, two sides. So the role of what's fortunate is I don't see the role of nurses as ever being something that's eradicated. Uh -huh. So that kind of the, like in experiencing in the hospital, the way that I've seen it like delineated in a way is like there's um, like nursing is like continuing patient care and uh, like what's the what's the right word like keeping it a, a patient at a steady line like you're continuing to care for the physical needs while the patient is incapable of doing those things for themselves and then the doctor kind of comes in more as the um still definitely on the human connection and like the all of that that we've been talking about the human right. element but as like the problem solver and okay how do we actually make this not just that this patient is being sustained but that they're recovering in a way that they no longer need this care um so the the like managing of physical care can't be done like robotically in the way that patients right. need even just how sensitive skin is and like the weird things like that it's like that i just don't think could ever be replaced right um so that's always, I think, will continue to be a, a facet because nursing is so much about caretaking, like physical caretaking. Um, but then also the role of doctors in um, like innovation, mm. I think, continues to be something that in, like an AI wouldn't be able to replace. Like that can be used as a tool right. to progress innovation faster or research and development um, of like new treatments and understanding um, like bodies better but in a way it's not necessarily a totally bad thing it's like if the ai get really good at diagnosing things then the focus can just be on treatment in other ways it's still i mean i guess you know they have the robot surgeries and things like that but it's still the doctors administering the treatment right it's just that they have more tools at their disposal and then you would think that it would like that the positive would be you can treat more patients and energy can be spent on things that aren't so rote and repetitive over time. Yeah. Like, you know, like we're like interpreting blood results or something like that. That's something that's pretty, like I've seen it a couple times and I feel like I could just read a full profile and like give kind of like a basic diagnosis just because it's not that complicated. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, you know, some of the doctors I work with, like they're going through this like a lot of times with each patient. So it's kind of like they could be doing other things. Um, they could even be helping those patients problem solve about okay what do we do now that there's this diagnosis um but in a way i think that it would free up time um and so if there is that strain of needing more doctors it's kind of like maybe we wouldn't need that as much because there's more tools for the existing ones um so i don't know i don't think that the career's just like eradicated because of that 
whether yeah. or not you view medicine as something like where virtue can be practiced. I still right. think there'll be plenty of work. Yeah. To well, be done. Thank, thank you for speculating with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love my AI bots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so how let's go back to kind of like the role of classical education in what ways specifically does uh, classical education um, help any person, not just a doctor, become more um, capable of fulfilling those roles that we're talking about um, with like person-to-person -person interaction and um, kind of like that virtuous way of working? Well, I think that it reorients you to a perspective of objective good, that there would be some, like, at least in my experience, so trying to separate it as much as I can from my faith, even though I feel like they're so tied at this point that it's just become a faith practice to think about these questions. But um, it takes you away from, like, the very uh, Darwinian kind of we're competing and now in some ways human society is just a failure because we've gotten to the point where we're not competing in the same ways and we even view critically the competition of societies in like history like history um so we've kind of we've kind of halted huh. you know darwin evolution in a way that just is like an unsatisfactory conclusion um I think at least that's what I'm left with that uh -huh. sentiment of kind of like, what's this about? Can I, can I stop you there? So you're yeah, saying sure. that you're saying that because we've reached a certain point of advanced civilization, essentially we're cooperating rather than competing and therefore limiting the effects of natural selection that yes. on ourselves basically. Yeah. Well, okay. it's kind of like, cause I, you know, I've heard, like we learn about like evolution so much and it's not to say that like, I know Christians that have like the, uh, the evolution framework or whatever, but if you're just taking it separate from that, there's some goodness that's inherent, that's trying to be achieved or whatever. Um, it's this, I don't know. It just leaves you with such a, so we're supposed to compete, but we're not really doing that very well anymore. And so then there's the arguments for altruism and actually there would be like an evolution drive that's cooperation and that's how we're still doing the Darwin thing. But whatever the case, that's just like one point of the the kind of more um what do we do if there's no like objective thing that we're right. trying to achieve. Right. Um and you know, there's ways to incorporate evolution is like, oh, it's directed towards this end and then right. that's why that's how we're still progressing but just assuming that it's kind of happening randomly and we've just gotten to this point where it's it's halted in a way yeah. um, and we've kind of interfered and maybe nature will come and correct us now um for trying to kind of halt it in this way uh that's one way that i kind of get the like the dissatisfaction with the system um but i think just mainly because of what it says or you could even just put in place of like this evolution thought just like the the subjective like i get to make what's good um and my experience with what gives me pleasure is what defines what's good or any of these kind of perspectives um, that are separate from like objective morality or an objective goodness that like law would be based off of right. um, and human action will be better for following. Um, it leads to just like the subjectiveness leads to just confusion and confusion in my own life. I think confusion in finding worth in what you're doing um, in making the physical things that you're doing matter more than just you know, seconds passing or whatever. So 
I think the worth of classical education for just living life is this sense that there's something you're trying to model yourself off of. Mm. It's like, it's almost like you're not, I don't want to like, it's going to sound weird, but like that you're not alone in just like living your life. Like it's, it's, it's attached to some greater cause. Like the reason that you're in existence in this moment, even if it's not because of a personal God creating you to have a relationship with you, um, it's still like there's something about this framework that has caused this to come about. And so I think it's ultimately like for me, the classical education is like realizing the, the like primary cause and that like everything would have cause. And that doesn't mean that I lose free will because there's like still a conversation of figuring out how to balance that. Yeah. But that there's, there's goodness beyond the ways that I'm able to be good. Like I'm just a reflection of that or I Mm. can participate in it, but there's, I'm not the end. It's like, I love my, one of my favorite books that we read, um, in Tori that, um, I've told Henry in particular, but a ton of people like read this, read it, read it is, um, Orthodoxy by Chesterton. Yeah. So good. I just, I love it. It's just been so good. And reading it in the graduating semester, I think has been just hugely helpful to think back on, um, the four years in Tori and what that process was and what was I even, you know, what was I learning? Yeah. But just this idea that, um, we put ourselves at the center of the world and we make it so small and restricted. Um, you know, even in this idea of like, Oh, there's no, there's no objective. So it can be whatever we want it to be. It like actually is just crippling and really small and tiny and disappointing. Um, but then if we allow this like paradox of the cross to be at the center, how expansive the universe becomes. Hmm. Um, and so I think that there's just a way when I'm, stuck you know or like like working through these these secondaries that are like driving me i know Aaliyah and i've been talking about it too so it's affecting her too but just just this very not fun process of writing all these like little essays about silly things there's a way that i can think i am doing there's a way that i can participate in doing this well beyond just myself and this time and completing my own goals for my own end but there will be moments that I can't foresee, but that have like, and then this is very much the Christian part, but like that have been for like foreseen on my behalf, Mm. like that there are good works ahead. And so as hard as it is to be like sitting here right now and, and trying to think about the future and like understand what it's going to be like to be a doctor or like how to do it well, it's just realizing that like there are good things ahead because I'll get to work with people in a way that I can live out my faith in doing it well. Right. Even if I'm in a context where I can't talk about my faith. Right. Like I get to take care of people in a way that like Christ took care of people. And I am operating in this world that makes purpose beyond just, okay, I've got a doctor, like, you know, at the beginning of my name on my tombstone. Like that's not like the end of being a doctor. Yeah. It's that there's something else going on that's so much bigger. Yeah. And so I think ultimately the classical education is so important because it makes us realize how tiny we are, Hmm. but then like how um, special that we're like so tiny, but still like actively worked through um, for this like good end. Like we can participate in goodness as small as we are. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the framework that is so centering and grounding. Yeah. And that I think is why I could do a lot of things and enjoy them because it's about something so much bigger playing out. Um, and we can participate in that through 
all of our different careers and even just being a patient and like struggling with a physical infirmity and realizing like there's a way that this can be done virtuously too. It's not like just doing the job. It's like even receiving the work that somebody else does. Right. um, Can be virtuous too. Right. Yeah. It's about who you are as a whole person, not just about the (laughs) function that you serve. Yeah. In society. Um, Chesterton is so good. And I'm also thinking of Lewis. Um, and Lewis talks about in Abolition of Man, the um, the tendency to try to conform reality to our desires, um, whereas really the kind of like ancient wisdom is to conform your desires to reality. Um, and so I, I like your picture of uh, like a great book program kind of giving you the reality to conform your desires around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, it's like you don't, you don't have to try to figure out what those things are um, mm-hmm. on your own. Uh, you have other people who have done the thinking um, in the past um, that you can kind of lean on. Um, so I, I would like to hear your argument for why should we read historical works um like why should we read um plato who is long dead and doesn't know anything about america and american society and give your your pitch there yeah definitely i think um the work or what kind of just to go back to the the little bit of the earlier point you made but um this idea that yeah, we're given the framework and that's the classical education. But I think what it is, is it starts to help us realize that we're just discover or uncovering something mm. rather than inventing something. Yeah, that's um, good. And so there's a way that then that's just a joyful process and not like this heavy burden of like, I need to create the world that I like. Huh. Um, I, I'm sorry. I know that you talked about this on a couple of your, or um, nausea particularly yeah. on a couple the podcast but just this idea of like what a burden that is then Mm. you know that's the challenge is to create the meaning to our existence um but just how like disgusting that becomes and crippling in a way Mm. um and there's ways that there's 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 signs potentially redemption or whatever and that playing out but just that idea of just like that there would be a burden creating the um the existence for ourselves or the meaning of our existence right and so the process of discovery is realizing that we can look at somebody i'm not expecting humans to get smarter over time like just from my worldview like that's not that's not where i'm coming from yeah um i tend not to be somebody that is i don't believe in in the in evolution or at least if there is evolution it's really not doing what it's supposed to be doing right now (laughs) um (laughs) in like just intellect and things like that but it's the worth of reading plato um is that he was doing the uncovering work that I am attempting to do now. Um, it's like it's a partnership. It's like a joint. It's in the same way as talk, like as us talking right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's thought about these things deeply and a lot longer than I have and in a way that's really digestible. And so that's what makes him like attractive versus just reading some, you know, some notes that I've taken about something that I've thought about. Um, so that's the worth of like what makes a good author worth reading versus just like somebody from his time period. Yeah. But what he's doing is not inventing something and then just kind of positing it as yeah. 
this is the world view that like you'll live a happy life if you believe these things it's like no these things are fundamentally true i love i mean socrates is the model of like and at least such a model for me is like there the questions are so freeing because mm. the answers will only get us closer to the true thing and i feel like that's been helpful for my faith too like for questions and, and doubts and things like that right and realizing that actually no i trust the true thing to continue to be true so i'm going to ask all of the questions and trust that they'll get me closer to the answer um so i know you just you you put plato just as kind of like one of these names of like the old dead guys that people know about yeah but i think socrates in particular is like such a great starting point because it's like how what's the right posture for this yeah or like how do i practice this like trust exercise if there's no like oh no you asked the wrong question you like broke the matrix and now like <laughs> it's jokes out like none of this is real yeah you know it's yeah. it's realizing that like all of these people um have been thinking about things in a way that's meaningful even if their conclusions i won't agree with it's still like no it's it's helpful to think through these things and be challenged like if I care about this and if this is something that I want to understand and come closer to a picture of the truth yeah. and like understanding the forms and things like that. Um, it's worthwhile to read people doing that. Well, people failing at that. So I know how not to do it. Um, and I, and you know, I think we read, um, can't remember who the author was. The book is on Liberty though. And we read the, the second chapter. Were you in, I don't know if you were in that, in that discussion. So. It was with a, with, um, a visiting lecturer. But basically it was just, it was a very simple point of like, why don't we censor things? Or like, why shouldn't we censor anything? And it's this idea that either it's going to say the true thing and we need to hear the true thing. It's going to say the wrong thing. And the exercise of disproving it makes us actually be able to know the true thing. Right. It's not just like, oh, I, I, I chose the right answer. I don't know why it's the right answer, but it's right. You know, it's, it's that process of like, no, actually what makes it right and what makes this wrong. Or in reality, most of the time, the correct answer is somewhere in between my conviction and somebody else's like, um, you know, position. Yeah. So um, that's, it's, if, if you're, if you're committed to the journey and you want to understand how the world works and your place in it, it's worthwhile to have partners in that process. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I, so I have three thoughts. Uh, the, first, <laughs> the first one is on the topic of questions. And one of my favorite uh, plot devices that Plato employs is when somebody other than Socrates brings up like a point that Socrates knows is wrong, but he's like, all right, we got to fully flesh it out. Like that we're, there's no turning back now. Like I know you're <laughs> wrong, but we're going to, we're going to pretend like you're right and take that to its logical extreme. Um, and I think that's an underrated, undervalued skill. Um, so I, I love that about Plato. Um, the other thing was when you mentioned the, um, oh, like we're uncovering something, not uh, disc or not like innovating or inventing something new. It actually reminded me of Mino. Um, so in Mino, the idea is um, Socrates is kind of asking the question, like, how do we find the truth? Like, wh what does that process entail? And one of the, the, the conclusion he comes to is the truth is actually already in us. Um, and 
whenever we learn something, we're actually just remembering the truth. Um, and now that's, he has some funky like logic of making that work. Um, but I think that kind of connects to your idea of like, you know, the truth exists, it already exists. We're just uh, uncovering or uh, kind of revealing it to ourselves or having it revealed to us. It's not like a, okay, well, all these Lego pieces are like put up and we're just like adding new ones, trying to figure something out. Um, and then the third one that I thought was interesting was um, you started by saying Plato is like a partner, um, which I find really interesting because you're kind of disregarding the time difference. It's like not just because Plato wrote before you doesn't mean that he is causing you to think certain things it's like you you get to work with plato i thought that was um i thought that was a unique perspective um and helpful um that it's not just like a trail of like okay well this person said this and because of that this person said this and so on and so forth um so overall great great books pitch um (laughs) I'm sold, but I was already sold. Oh, good, so. good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little uh, too late. You went through it. Yeah, exactly. I guess in retrospect, you could appreciate it more. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to, um, I'm a little short on time, but I want to wrap up by asking, like, so you took a, a long trip to Europe this summer. Um, how did visiting, like, historical um sites and seeing places with so much more history like california is only like a hundred or 200 years old you know like almost uh and what did you learn what did you notice about being in um cities and places with so much more history Well, I love, I love the whole experience of travel. I'm somebody that's, I'm sold on the travel, (laughs) like the worth of it. Um, And I was thinking about coming back from the trip and even sometimes during it when, because it was a long, I was, I was gone for a long time and I tend to be somebody, I like to be at home. um, So I like the new experiences, but like, there's like, I want to be in my bed and on my routine and things like that. So there was times where I was like, is this like worthwhile anymore? Like I've been here for so long and like, how do I continue to receive? Like I got to a point where um, I went to a museum and I like could not read the plaques. Like I just like the words were not meaning anything anymore because I had just so much like exposure to this rich history. Um, Yeah. And so then it was kind of like, okay, what am I going to take from this now? So like, there, like you know, at the beginning of the trip, I'm in Italy um, with my mom who studied art history in college. So it is so fun to go with her to museums um, because she has this expertise, but also she just has like so much joy for what we're seeing and the worth of what we're seeing. Uh, so that's that was so much fun. But like going to the Uffizi Gallery, it's kind of like, this is phenomenal art. Like our tour guide was amazing. Like it was just the best. And so then in some ways, you know, I go to, you know, like an open gallery or a free gallery or something like that in another country a couple of weeks later. And it's like, Oh, you know, like I just, there's something about, you know, good art that's been appreciated for a long time. There might be a couple things, especially modern art that I still struggle to appreciate, but like, there's a reason. And so you see like all that stuff and then it's kind of like, okay, like this feels like a little bit like 
you know, I, I know that like plenty of people disagree, but like a downgrade kind of like, what mm -hmm. am I interacting with now? Um, or just buildings are so beautiful and cool. And I, I love architecture particularly. Yeah. Um, but then it's kind of like, Oh, I've seen so many, like, how do I even receive this in a way that's meaningful anymore? Yeah. Um, so I think what I, I came to realize is that, or what I came to the place of accepting is this isn't like, I can't, I can't take in, like, I can't grasp everything as much as I tend always to be a person that desires that. Like, let me yeah. take the fullness of what this is or like try and understand all the significance in the way that this building, like the facade was created and stuff like that. Um, just because that tends to be, I, it's that art history, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, running, coursing through my veins of like, just wanting to understand it all and understand the biblical imagery of, you know, like a basilica's facade and things like that. Um, and then just realizing that there's a way that those things like impact you that I don't need to think about in the front of my brain. Like mm -hmm. I don't need to like analyze paintings. Like I can just sit and enjoy the lighting or something like that. Or even just sit outside a really pit, like pretty building and just realize like, I can't appreciate this for what is happening in front of me at all, but I'm just going to enjoy the like light that's hitting me right now. Mm -hmm. um, and realize that I have gotten to the point where I am like on a like vacation essentially. And I have traveled and seen so many cool things that now I'm okay just being in England and sitting in the sun. And it's yeah. like, again, the natural things that I care about the most. Yeah, like, interesting. There's a way that that can be like um, sad a little bit because mm -hmm. you want it to be about, you know, the art and the architecture and the new experiences. But then you realize like, wait, I've gotten again to the point where the sweetest thing is just, you know, talking to somebody I know or like laying on the lawn and like, we are simple in some ways too. Yeah. And it's good to experience the world. And I would totally do it again. But um, it's not a bad thing to just receive. And I think that that's a good reminder for me who tends to be somebody that wants to like tackle big issues, right. think through everything and intellectualize everything. Um, but it's good to live the true things. And sometimes that's just like physical experiences of God in the natural world too. Yeah. So um yeah yeah that's good uh i could see how yeah i mean it makes sense that you spend enough time there with these beautiful works of art and works of architecture but of course it's gonna eventually it's gonna feel normal again um so it makes sense that you would kind of start to experience the same things there as you experience um when you're at home or in the yeah. u.s <laughs> Um, yeah yeah i miss the coffee though i'll say that i never got sick of that coffee yeah i, I bet <laughs> all the espresso based drinks and I stuff bet. man <laughs> i go back just for that <laughs> yeah um all right that is all i have for today sumaya thank you uh for your insight and um uh, being willing to pontificate on things that we know a little bit about but not that much uh <laughs> yeah <appreciate> <laughs> that's always how it feels <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much.